Tales from Ravenbrook. Communion. April 12th, 1956. Ravenbrook, a place where reality often dances with the inexplicable, where the townsfolk have learned to live with the unsettling knowledge that their home has been touched by the bizarre and the macabre, as if the very land itself has a penchant for the uncanny. Ravenbrook has a history steeped in eerie tales, each more unnerving than the last. And in the 1950s, a corrupt priest named Father Malachi was about to unleash a terror that would shake Ravenbrook to its core. Father Malachi was a man with a colorful past. He had arrived in Ravenbrook in 1943, bringing with him an ancient relic that had been passed down through generations. A file said to contain the blood of a demonic entity. According to the legends whispered among the town's elders, this vile relic dated back to the time of Jesus Christ himself. As the church bells of St. Agatha's Cathedral of the Whispering Grove chimed, signaling the beginning of the annual church lock-in, the teenagers of Ravenbrook gathered inside the old stone church. Father Malachi, dressed in his black cassock, had a sinister glint in his eyes as he approached the altar. The file rested there, encased in a silver chalice, its dark liquid glistening like blood under the dim candlelight. Tonight, my dear teenagers, we embark on a sacred journey, Father Malachi announced with a chilling smile. We shall partake in a communion unlike any other. The blood of the fallen one shall grant us power beyond imagination. The young teens exchanged uneasy glances their innocence clashing with the sinister aura surrounding their priest. They had heard rumors, tales of strange occurrences, but none had dared to question Father Malachi's authority. One by one, the father handed each person in attendance a small cup containing a mixture of wine and the cursed blood, saying aloud, This blood given for you. He muttered incantations in a language long forgotten as he did so, his words dripping with a sinister purpose. The teenagers sipped hesitantly, their faces twisted in discomfort as the foul liquid touched their tongues. As the night wore on, the atmosphere in the church grew increasingly oppressive. Shadows danced on the walls and the air grew cold despite the warm glow of candles. Father Malachi's sermon took a sinister turn, his words now urging the teenagers to embrace darkness, to welcome the coming of a new era. Hours passed, and the teenagers' heads grew heavy. They began to lose track of time, their senses clouded by the unholy communion it was then that Father Malachi revealed his true intentions. The first child born after the consumption of this unholiest of communions shall be the vessel of darkness, the son of Satan himself. 
he declared, his voice echoing through the ancient church. Ravenbrook will become a haven for darkness, and our Dark Lord shall rise once more. Fear and panic swept through the congregation as they realized the horror of what they had unwittingly participated in. Desperation clawed at their hearts, but it was too late. The darkness had taken hold, and the file's curse had sealed their fate. The daylight hours quickly approached, leaving everyone there confused and unable to recount the night prior. Little did they know, one of those in attendance would go on to pay for it with their life. Nine months later, as a blood-red moon hung low over Ravenbrook, a child was born. The mother, writhing in agony, gave birth to a baby boy with eyes as black as the abyss. The screams of pain echoed through the night as the mother's life was extinguished with the child's first breath. The child, the son of Satan himself, drew its first breath in a world tainted by darkness. The town of Ravenbrook was forever changed, and the terror that had been unleashed that fateful night would haunt its residents for generations to come. But this was only the beginning of the nightmare that would grip Ravenbrook, as the malevolent presence of the unholy file and Father Malachi's dark legacy continued to cast its shadow over the cursed town. The birth of the child, the son of Satan, the Antichrist, sent shockwaves through the town of Ravenbrook. Whispers of the unholy event spread like wildfire, and fear gripped the hearts of its inhabitants. They knew that darkness had taken root, and there was no turning back. As the years passed, the boy named Damien grew at an unnatural pace. His eyes, once as black as the abyss, now held a sinister glow that seemed to pierce through the souls of those who dared to look into them. He possessed an uncanny charm that masked his malevolent nature drawing people under a sinister influence. Ravenbrook, once a peaceful coastal town, descended into chaos. Unexplained deaths and disappearances became commonplace. Crops withered and the sea turned turbulent, as if nature itself rebelled against the presence of evil. The town's residents, trapped in a nightmare of their own making, could only watch in terror as their lives unraveled. The cursed file, which Father Malachi had safeguarded with his life, continued to exert its malevolent influence. It whispered to Damien, guiding him in dark rituals and ceremonies that further tainted the town. The ancient relic seemed to have a mind of its own, as if it hungered for more suffering and despair. One by one, the townspeople fell under Damien's sway, willingly or unwillingly becoming his disciples in the unholy mission. Those who resisted were subjected to torment and torture, their bodies and souls broken until they too succumbed to the darkness. The church, 
once a place of solace and worship, had become a profane temple of evil. Damien, now a charismatic figure, stood at the altar, delivering sermons that twisted the minds of his followers. He spoke of a coming apocalypse, of a world drenched in blood, and of a reign of darkness that would engulf the earth. Outside the church, the town of Ravenbrook had become a ghostly shell of its former self. Abandoned homes, overgrown streets, and an air of dread hung heavy in the air. The mountains that loomed over the town seemed to weep with sorrow, as if mourning the town's fall from grace. And so, Ravenbrook became a cursed town, trapped in a never-ending nightmare. The once idyllic coastal haven had become a place of horror, a breeding ground for the unspeakable. Damien, the son of Satan, continued to thrive, his power growing with each passing day. As the darkness deepened, there was no salvation in sight. The town of Ravenbrook had become a living hell, and its residents were condemned to an eternity of suffering. The unholy legacy of Father Malachi's wicked deed had cast a shadow that would never fade, and the terror of Ravenbrook would haunt the nightmares of those who dared to remember its name. Well, that was a doozy. Forgot we don't say anything of them. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least, dude. That's... Apparently the 50s were a tough decade for Ravenbrook. I mean, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I, and as you even as you even mentioned on a previous episode, I've been writing a lot of like more modern day and more kind of, you know, more recent stuff. Yeah. So now, like, I'm trying to get us into a way that we can really start to focus on Ravenbrook's past. Yeah. And focus on some of like the reasons why you know this stuff is happening, and versus just what's going on in the present. Yeah, for sure. We got to start stitching it together. A little bit. A little bit. I, th- I mean, yeah. I think we're well on our way, obviously. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But I think some of those like foundational pieces from from the early days, right. or earlier days yeah. of Ravenbrook, I think that'll help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the fucking Antichrist. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, he's there. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> of all the places. Fucking Ravenbrook has Ravenbrook. to be. Right. Exactly. It just makes sense. Uh, yeah. I I suppose it does. I suppose it does. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Now, what Okay, so I imagine he at some point would have to go more incognito. Right? I mean, yeah. I think like as, maybe I think as like time progresses and people start to forget what happened and he becomes this, you know, I mean there's going to be a certain point where he's probably not going to age anymore. Yeah. And people are going to see that, maybe. Sure. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe he, he has, has the like, Antichrist, so maybe he can project himself as aging. Right. You know what I mean? Or have some, some like, compelling thing that he can do to just really bring people in, and then they forget all about him, you know? Yeah, make them not notice. Right. Yeah. But I think at some point, there's going to be a, there's going to be a fall-off period where... You know, the people are going to forget who he is and, you know, he's just going to be the new, 
you know, the new minister, the new priest of this church or whatever else. Yeah. I was going to say, I like the idea that he eventually took over for Father Malachi. Right. And his goal basically being, you know, trying to get everyone into, you know, just to the dark side. Yeah. But yeah, I really, I like the idea of him taking over. I like the, anytime that a supposedly trusted figure can end up being the villain. Yeah. I think that always makes for a really compelling story. True. True. I mean, the the effect that he's going to have on this town, I I would like to think that maybe at you know, some point this town becomes very, I don't know, has a very, like, big, maybe church-going crowd, and this, uh, I mean, you know, most towns, as most towns do have multiple churches. Yeah. Maybe for some reason this is the only one in Ravenbrook, I don't know, but... That could be interesting. Right. You know, and is be something to where like but see I don't, I don't know how that would how that would go like is he gonna teach oh the almighty or is he gonna like teach about you know the return of our dark lord i don't think it's a huge stretch to think of someone like preaching hate and discrimination from the pulpit right and i hate and division yeah and all those all those things. I think a lot of religious leaders use their pulpit for evil. I mean, yeah, in real life. Mm-hmm. So he could definitely just fall into that category. He's just like sowing discontent in the community, you know? Yeah. Okay. It's trying to cause chaos and hatred. Yeah. I just, I think like just the effect that that could have over everybody could be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> in a word <laughs> right i mean you know what i mean like it, it could help yeah. to set up a lot of these like just weird weird things yeah dude we could have him behind like say like in the 80s early 90s the satanic panic sweeps the nation that yeah. shit hits ravenbrook too you yeah, know what i mean for sure and he's in there like telling telling the parishioners that like anyone that any kids that you see wearing black t-shirts or that paint their fingernails, it's because they worship Satan and they need to be lynched and drawn, driven out of town. And do we that, want, I him, mean, that shit went on in real life. Do we want him to teach against or do we want him to? Well, the thing is those kids aren't actually worshiping Satan. Obviously. Right. I mean, it's yeah, just a way to get people to do horrendous things. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And it's scary because it's real. Right. I mean, true. (laughs) And there can eventually (laughs) be a point where Ravenbrook literally turns into hell. And then we see, you know, lots more happen. I don't, I don't know. You know, spitballing. I like it. Possibilities are endless. Potentials there. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on. Ready to go even further back. Yeah. My story is entitled Mist Haven Isle. From the desk of Dr. Eleanor Harrow, President of the Ravenbrook Historical Society. In the year 1955, an unsettling discovery was made at the lighthouse on Mist Haven Isle, off the coast of Ravenbrook, Maine. A beacon that had stood against the tumultuous sea since the early 19th century. The lighthouse had witnessed the passage of many keepers, but none so enigmatic and tragic as Elijah Hawthorne. 
Hawthorne, who had tended to the lighthouse from 1899 to 1909, had vanished under mysterious circumstances, leaving behind only whispers and rumors among the locals. For nearly half a century, his fate remained an enigma, a chilling footnote in the lighthouse's history. The mystery deepened when, in 1955, there had been no communication from Thomas Mallory, Hawthorne's replacement, for three weeks. Concerned, authorities sent a crew to investigate. What they found was a deserted lighthouse, the keeper inexplicably missing, mirroring the strange disappearance of Hawthorne himself. In the abandoned quarters of the lighthouse, hidden under layers of dust and time, the crew discovered a leather-bound journal. The journal, penned by Elijah Hawthorne, detailed, in part, his final days at the lighthouse. It was a harrowing account of isolation, a strange encounter with a feral creature, and the subsequent descent into a nightmarish reality that blurred the lines between man and beast. I'll warn you, the entries in Hawthorne's journal told a story that seemed ripped from the pages of a gothic horror. It speaks of a transformation, both terrifying and tragic, as Hawthorne struggled to comprehend and resist the beastly nature that appears to have gradually consumed him. After this grim discovery and the unexplained disappearance of Mallory, the decision was made to automate the lighthouse, leaving it to serve its purpose more safely, untended by human hands. The following are the relevant excerpts from Hawthorne's final year. February 3rd, 1909 The wind howls like a banshee in the night, circling the lighthouse, as if it seeks to unearth my very soul. Ten years I've stood watch over these rocky shores, a solitary guardian against the treacherous embrace of the sea. Each day blends into the next, marked only by the rhythmic pulse of the lighthouse beam cutting through the fog and darkness. Today I ventured across the bay for supplies, the mainland a brief respite from my isolated vigil. It was on my return, as twilight bled into night, that a stray dog, mangy and wild-eyed, emerged from the shadows of the docks. Before I could react, it lunged, teeth sinking into my leg with a ferocity that belied its size. I beat it back with my lantern. Its yelps faded into the growing dark. The wound is deep, but I have tended to it as best I can. February 7th. The bite festers and burns, a constant reminder of that accursed animal and sleep eludes me, is filled with fever dreams of howling winds and a moon as red as blood. I wake drenched in sweat, the distant sound of howling emerging from the ocean's roar. February 10th. I am haunted by an unshakable feeling of dread as if the very air around the lighthouse is charged with a dark force. The sea itself seems agitated, waves crashing against the rocks with increased ferocity. 
My nights are filled with strange visions, running on all fours, the scent of prey strong in my nostrils. February 12th. Tonight the full moon reigns supreme in the heavens, its pale light an eerie beacon in the darkness. My skin itches, my senses heightened to an unnatural degree. I hear things I should not. The scuttle of a crab across the rocks, the beating heart of a gull nesting high atop the lighthouse. It feels as though I'm attuned to the very pulse of the night. February 13th. The transformation was both agonizing and exhilarating. I remember little, but the carnage in the lighthouse come morning suggests unspeakable horrors. Blood coats the walls, the metallic scent heavy in the air. Shreds of clothing, mine, lie scattered across the floor. What am I becoming? February 14th. I ventured to the mirror this morn, a stranger's eyes staring back at me, wild, feral. My hands shake as I write this. The ink is blotted with my trembling. The creature within me is restless, clawing at the confines of my human shell. February 16th. Each night the beast within grows stronger, its hunger insatiable. I've taken to chaining myself, but the metal bites into my flesh as if mocking my feeble attempts at control. I hear it laughing. In the dark recesses of my mind, I hear it, a a sound more terrifying than any howling wind. February 18th. I awoke on the shore, the taste of salt and something far fouler in my mouth. The remains of a seal lay beside me, its unseeing eyes accusing. What monstrosity prowls the night in my skin? I am losing myself to this beast. My thoughts once so clear now, just a muddled haze of instinct and primal urges. I fear for any who dare approach this island, for what lives within me is no longer man, but a creature of darkness and terror. February 21st. Tonight is the last. I can feel it in my bones. The final transformation that will consume what little humanity I have left. The light of this house, once a beacon of hope, now feels like a mocking reminder of what I once was. May God have mercy on my soul. February 25th. The transformation is complete. I am no longer the man I once was. Last night, under the controlling gaze of the moon, I tore away my chains as if they were but strands of twine. 
The beast roared within me, triumphant, unrestrained. The darkness of the sea and sky merged into one, a perfect canvas for the horror I've become. February 26th. My humanity flickers like a dying candle in the wind. Memories of my past life haunt me. A ghostly specter of a time when I was master of my own soul. The lighthouse stands tall and mocking. A symbol of a duty I can no longer fulfill. I avoid my reflection. For the eyes that stare back are filled with a feral hunger that chills me to the bone. February 27th. A boat approached the island today. Fishermen. Oblivious to the danger that lurked in the shadows, I watched, hidden as they docked, my every instinct screaming to attack. Yet a shred of my former self held the beast at bay. My fists clenched till my nails drew blood. March 1st. 1909. The nights are an endless torment, a cacophony of urges and violence that I can barely resist. By day, I am a shell, haunted by the echoes of the former night's savagery and the savagery to come. The house's light cuts through the fog. A futile attempt to guide lost souls away from this cursed island. March 2nd. I found the remnants of a deer on the rocks today. Its body torn asunder. I have no memory of the hunt. Only the lingering taste of blood on my tongue. The realization that I am both hunter and monster fills me with an unspeakable dread. March 3rd. The change now comes with ease. (laughs) A horrifying grace that terrifies me. I am losing all sense of time. The days blurring into a continuous cycle of horror and despair. The lighthouse wants my pride now stands only as a silent witness to my damnation. March 4th. In a moment of clarity, I attempted to destroy the lighthouse, to cease its beacon and prevent any from approaching. But the beast within resisted, its survival instincts overpowering my feeble will. I am trapped in a nightmare. Unable to wake. March 5th. A storm rages tonight. The sea and sky as tumultuous as the battle within me. Lightning occasionally illuminating the island in brief stark flashes, revealing glimpses of the monster I have become. The roar of the thunder is indistinguishable from the sound of my own mind. 
March 6th. I awoke on the edge of the cliff. The waves crashing below. For a moment, I considered the embrace of the sea. An end to this cursed existence. But the beast clings to life. It clings with a ferocious tenacity, denying me even this final respite. March 7th. There is no hope left for me. The beast reigns supreme. A dark lord over this desolate domain. I write these words as a warning to any who might come seeking the keeper of the lighthouse. Stay away, for nothing remains here but death and shadows. May even the sea forgive me for the horrors that I have unleashed. March 8th. A violent storm last night claimed my boat, severing my final tie to the world beyond these cursed shores. The howls of the wind were indistinguishable from the cries of the beast within me. As dawn broke, I found a man half-dead, washed up on the beach. I have taken him into my lighthouse. His presence here is both a blessing and a curse. As I nurse him back to health, I do feel a glimmer of my lost humanity. Yet the beast within, it stirs, intrigued by the proximity of prey. March 10th. The man, a sailor, speaks little. His eyes hold a mix of gratitude and fear, perhaps sensing the monster that lurks just beneath my skin. Each day is a battle to keep it at bay, but I fear I cannot hold it back much longer. March 12th. Tonight, my worst fears were realized. The beast simply overpowered me. In a quick moment, driven by a hunger too powerful to resist. The sailor. He didn't stand a chance. The horror of my actions, once the transformation reverse, is indescribable. I am a monster. A predator of the worst kind. March 13th. The lighthouse is now a tomb. A monument to my sins. The sea outside roars, indifferent to the tragedy unfolding within its sight. I have decided to end this nightmare. The cliffs, with their jagged rocks and unforgiving edges... The ocean itself will be my final embrace. March 16th. As I prepare for my last act, I can't help but reflect on the man I once was. As verbose as it sounds, I always thought of myself as a keeper of the light, a guardian against the dark. 
Now, I am but a shadow of that man. A creature of darkness myself. This journal, my confession, my warning, will be the only legacy I leave behind. To any who find it, know that the man who wrote these words is long gone, consumed by the beast he became. Let this fallen lighthouse and the ravaged shores be a reminder of the darkness that lies in wait, where man meddles with the forces of nature. Elijah Hawthorne, once keeper of the light, now a mere whisper lost in the roaring sea. As a local historian devoted to the preservation and exploration of Ravenbrook, I have spent countless hours delving into the enigmatic and often overlooked stories of our past. The discovery of Elijah Hawthorne's journal and the subsequent disappearance of his replacement, Thomas Mallory, in 1955, presents a narrative that is as enthralling as it is chilling. While the accounts in Hawthorne's journal may be easily dismissed as the ramblings of a solitary man succumbing to isolation-induced madness or even mercury poisoning, the eerie parallel of his successor's disappearance invites a deeper inquiry. Could there be a more tangible connection between these two incidents, separated by nearly half a century? One theory posits that Hawthorne, driven by his alleged affliction, may have staged his own disappearance, leaving behind the journal as a cryptic testament to his ordeal. However, this does not explain the similar fate that befell the next keeper. Local lore and whispers of a curse surrounding the lighthouse have been passed down through generations, but tangible evidence remains elusive. Another explanation, perhaps more grounded in reality, suggests that the isolation and physiological strain of lighthouse keeping could induce severe mental distress, leading to tragic outcomes. The harsh and solitary nature of the job, coupled with the relentless and unforgiving sea, may have been contributing factors to both keepers' fates. Interestingly, there have been reports of strange sightings and unexplained occurrences in the surrounding forests and coastline as well as Ravenbrook proper over the years. These accounts, often dismissed as mere superstitions, bear an uncanny resemblance to the transformations described in Hawthorne's journal. Could there be a more profound, perhaps even supernatural, element at play? The automation of the lighthouse in 1955 marked the end of an era, but also the beginning of a legacy shrouded in mystery. As a historian, I remain committed to uncovering the truth behind these disappearances. The answers may lie buried in the annals of history, waiting to be unearthed. Or, they may forever remain part of the folklore that colors our rugged and mystical Maine coastline. Whatever the truth may be, the story of Elijah Hawthorne and the haunted lighthouse stands as a fascinating and eerie chapter in our local history. A reminder of the thin veil that separates the known from the unknown. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Sounds like uh, old, old Elijah got a little bit more than he bargained for when he beat off that dog. 
Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> with, with his, you know, uh, they tell you with his lantern, mind you. You never know when you could catch something. That's true. You got to be careful. You you do. You can't just you can't just go around beating off dogs. Nah. Yeah. You got to be prepared. You never know what's going to come. Yeah. I mean, has anyone has anyone ever explored the idea of lycanthropy as a sexually transmitted disease? Now that I think about it, I don't think so. Not at least not off the top of my head. Yeah, not that I can think of. Listeners, if you know of a story where you know, lycanthropy has passed through sexual contact. Let us know. I'm interested. Because it's definitely, like, it's passed through blood. Right. Right? Yeah. Traditionally. So. A scratch. Uh, a bite. Yeah. Same as zombie. I imagine most bodily fluids, right? Right. Would, would do the trick. Huh. Yeah, that's hard to say. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. So, yeah. We, uh, we got a new landmark. Right, the lighthouse on yep. Mist Haven Isle, just off the coast, and uh, and we got a character who seems like she might return. For I sure. mean, it sounds like she's going to be a wealth a wealth of knowledge, and maybe works with the elders. We know that there's still like what one or two elders. There's an elder, and there's another another group. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the keepers of so, knowledge or something, whatever it is. Yeah, but. Yeah, I yeah. A, I could see Doctor. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I think it'll be cool to to like to shed light on a lot of these. Like you know, we have we have a historian that's I'm sure you know just like with the library, we had the the paramedical archives and stuff like that. We're gonna have a lot of these. Yep, kind of like archived yeah. information, journals, stories, whatever else that come through. And yeah. I think that's gonna. I could see a lot of stories coming from the desk of Dr. Yeah. Eleanor Harrow. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So it'll be an it'll be an awesome uh, awesome addition to a way that we can go back in time. Yeah, for sure. It's and also the second lighthouse keeper that that disappeared, the uh Thomas Mallory. Yeah. He disappeared the year before your story took place. Nice. Yeah. So do we do we think the same thing that happened to Elijah happened to Maybe. Thomas Mallory? Yeah. Could be. Or or he could have just gone nuts out there. Right. Or is all of this literally just them alone? I mean, cuz especially with Elijah he'd been there what doing the same thing for 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. I imagine at some and, point uh, your minimal contact with the outside world is going to eat at you. Yeah, and Thomas Mallory, when he disappeared, he was old. I mean, he was the lighthouse keeper. He took over in 1909 when Elijah disappeared, and he was the lighthouse keeper until 1955. Hmm. So he did it for 40 years. That's crazy. 45 years. Yeah. I mean, like, as long as, long as you've got, like, you know, modern day, you've got some internet and stuff up there and oh yeah, I'd be fine. TV and stuff, I don't think it'd be so bad. <laughs> Agreed. I think I could do it for sure. Yeah. I mean, once my kids are grown and move out, I'd take a fucking lighthouse gig. Yeah. For sure. I watch uh I watch a lot of I mean, a lot of YouTube videos about uh, I think we talked about this in another a random another episode, but about people that uh go out and stay in the old uh like firewatch buildings 
Oh yeah. Um, and you, yeah, and a lot of them now you can, you can just literally rent it out for the weekend or for a night or whatever else. Yeah. Like even something like that would be awesome. Yeah. Like tower four, the podcast about the, the firewatch dude. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. They just released the finale, the season finale nice. for that show. So and they need to get on it. Yeah. Everyone should definitely it out. It's really good, man. Speaking of that, you recommended Bridgewater. Yeah. Yep. And it's fantastic. Bridgewater is an audio drama created by Aaron Mankey from Lore, which is obviously a huge influence on right on our main show on Campfire in general. But like, goddamn, Bridgewater is good. And that's I the listened one to the that whole thing in like four days. That has uh, Castiel, right? Yep. Yeah. As the what actor is, that plays Castiel and Supernatural, Misha something misha collins there we go yeah yep yeah it's fantastic it's about a folklore professor who finds out everything in the bridgewater triangle is real so so side so side tangent um yeah no i mean i i i think i could i think i could take living with not you know moderate well next to little no contact with you know people irl yeah Is that i think still- that's a huge difference though between there's a huge difference between that and what these dudes went Obviously. through. Actually having zero, <laughs> right. zero contact. Yeah. Imagine if the only thing to keep you company was the like crash of waves. Like that's the only thing you ever heard in your own footsteps. Yeah. yeah that'd be pretty rough. Like I kind of, I, I regretted not really exploring Miss Taven Isle more. Yeah. Like I, I wanted to, but I kind of wanted to keep it like, concise okay keep the story about like the psychological that was going on with him there's but, there's like, more that can be i don't know how there. yeah i don't know how big uh like we want mist haven isle to be but i know that i think it would be cool to make it big enough to where there should be something other things there yeah but there aren't okay for whatever reason the lighthouse is the only thing that was ever built on the island mm. you know i like that idea or maybe have like remnants of like some construction project that was started that was never completed. Oh yeah, and failed. Yeah, yeah, that could be interesting. Almost like ruins, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Maybe the curse is is local to the the island itself. You know? Yeah. And that's what yeah that's what keeps people from settling the island, which is still an extension of Ravenbrook. Yeah, it's part of Ravenbrook. But yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked as we continue to build on this and everything. I mean, each story and each like edition that we add in just makes. I mean, it just makes this feel more real and more alive. And yeah, yeah, I know as we're about to turn a new chapter for Ravenbrook, um, with our you know free future plans here. Yes. Um it's it's gonna make that like you know uh, an actual thing so yeah you know, I'm, absolutely. I'm stoked for the future of our of our ravenbrook here me too it's it's about to it's about to expand for sure absolutely yep. for sure more and on we'll, that later you know we have yeah we have announcements coming about everything going on with that but uh netflix well, Ryan, if you still want to buy the show think, go for it yeah absolutely <laughs> Just throw I think that, that about does it. I think it does. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, fantastic stuff. Go give it a listen. All right. I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Tales from Ravenbrook. Communion and Mist Haven Isle. 